This is Ken Emanuel, and you're listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Strohs Across the Globe, the podcast presenting an international view on the Houston Astros, brought to you in association with Apollo Media as part of the Apollo Podcast Network. All Houston, all original. I'm your host, George Martin, also known as at AstrosFansUK on Twitter and similarly on other platforms. I have another great Astros guest on the show today for you once again, but before I get to that, I must just take a moment to reflect on episode 12 with Evan Gattis. The response to that extraordinary episode was absolutely phenomenal, with over 4,600 downloads as I speak. I knew when we were recording that this was something special, and it thrills me to know that so many of you felt the same way. The feedback received in its aftermath was everything I could have hoped for and much more. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please make sure to check it out after this one. And speaking of today's episode, I had the chance to talk with the Houston Astros seemingly snake-bitten yet indomitable pitcher Kent Emanuel. Every time the baseball gods seem to throw another obstacle into his path, he manages to find a way to overcome it. So naturally, after an extraordinary 8 and 2 thirds innings performance in relief when finally making his delayed MLB debut, it sadly followed in kind that mere weeks later he would be facing season-ending UCL surgery. Ahead of that though, let's take a quick look at things for the Houston Astros as we stand on the brink of the All-Star break. The Astros are concluding this first half of the year, having shown that they are very much a force to be reckoned with in the American League. Leading the West by four and a half games as it stands after a home series win over closest division rivals the Oakland A's and swapping possession of the AL's best record with the Boston Red Sox. This is a year in which as fans of the Houston Astros, we have every reason to be more than a little excited. Speaking of the All-Star game, congratulations to Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Michael Brantley and especially Ryan Presley, who has been nothing short of spectacularly good so far this year on being selected for it. Plus, full respect to Altuve and Correa in deciding not to take part. Eyes are very much on the big prize at the club in 2021. Back to today's show with what is an enlightening and entertaining discussion with my special guest Kent Emanuel. We start off by taking a closer look at his incredible debut performance, focusing on the emotions he was feeling at finally reaching this stage and subsequently delivering in such a memorable way. Following this, we assess the differences in preparation and training for starting pitchers versus relievers and what it is like working with Brent Strom and Dusty Baker before moving on to assess the status of his latest injury after the surgery and what the prognosis is on his return. The conversation then switches to the big issue of dihydrochlormethyltestosterone, aka DHCMT, a source of understandable frustration for Emmanuel in the wake of his suspension in 2020, and what MLB can do to reasonably amend their testing regulations. We also touch on MLB's sticky substances crackdown for pitchers. In addition to all this, we take a look in-depth at Kent's thoughts and views on life for minor league players and how this could be improved, along with a little look at his baseball influences as a youngster on the road to the majors. Also on the show, back with another great prize for listeners, find out who's won that superb Funk Altuve t-shirt from Apollo. Please keep subscribing, rating and reviewing Strohs Across the Globe after you listen on the podcast platform which you're listening to this on. Positive feedback is always, always welcome and I would be truly thankful. Keep on spreading the word about Strohs Across the Globe. I want to make this the best and most unique Astros podcast out there and with your support, it makes it easier for me to get the very best guests on this show. Now, after a short message from Apollo Media about the other great shows on the Apollo Podcast Network, it's time for my conversation with Kent Emanuel. I hope you enjoy listening. 
Welcome back to Strokes Across the Globe, where once again, I'm delighted to be able to present another superb guest on the show for you today. I'm joined by a man who overcame adversity to finally break through to the Major League Baseball, delivering a truly stunning eight and two thirds innings performance out of the bullpen on debut. Yes, indeed, the Houston Astros exciting and talented left armor, currently, unfortunately, beginning rehab after another hurdle in the shape of UCL surgery. Mr. K, Kent Emanuel, thank you so much for joining me on the show. First and foremost, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. Just uh, got a lot of free time nowadays, so that part kind of stinks, but it's also kind of nice, I guess. You know, you are pretty Mm. busy in season, so it's cool to be able to chill out. Yeah. How long is it now since the surgery? When when did you? Uh, you It's been a week. One week. Cool. I I know that people listening won't be able to see it, but um, that... Like just having a look at your arm there, and that, my bionic wow. arm here. Yeah, that is uh, that's pretty hefty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess before we even really get cracking uh, with this, I just wanted to express my most sincere best wishes for you on the on the rehab road. I, I know you can do it, and it's um it's going to be a, a long road, but you've got all the Astros fans behind you. We definitely are pulling for you in this because we know we know what you've been through, and wow. uh, however long it's going to be, we'll be backing you all the way. Sure, I, I appreciate that. I, uh, those sentiments they, they mean more than you think. It's it's nice to hear it. Let's start off with this year. So, on um, on the 23rd of April, you were promoted to the major leagues, and you had wow, uh, to say uh, an unusual introduction is, is putting it mildly. Five pitches in, Jake Odorizzi is out of the game against the Angels. Just run us through what you're thinking at that time. When you must have known it would be your debut at some point on that day, but for it to happen right. after five pitches, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the night before, I thought I was going to debut. I got to warm up. I think maybe tw- definitely once, maybe even twice. I don't remember. Um, so you know, I knew I knew it was coming. You know, the bullpen they were in, they needed someone to cover some innings. So I, I knew it was coming soon. But yeah, you're never going to bet on it being after one batter. So I, I really, that day, I didn't have time really to think about anything. I felt like I was not even like looking, I was like looking around probably. So I don't even remember what I was looking at. And they're like, Hey, you better run in there. So. <laughs> what was your heart rate like at that time? Was it racing? Did you even have time to get your heart kind of um, burst yeah, into your chest? I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think um, my heart rate was, was pretty normal. Um, I think, I think a lot of that just comes from, you know, I think I've probably as experienced as anyone can be before a debut. Mm. Um, and then not to mention, you know, I kind of had the warm up like energy the night before. So that part like already kind of was checked off, too. So, um, yeah, it just it all happened so fast. I don't think there was ever that moment where it, it you know, I let let things speed up too much. I guess that. Yeah. And in a way that was a benefit. You didn't really have time to even get nervous or anxious about the performance it was just like right it's game time we've got to go yeah time to time to work so um i think as an observer what i really noticed was that sort of calmness that you had on, on the mound for, for your debut you looked like you were in total control and he, uh, to, to emphasize it even more you know you get you gave up a couple of solo home runs and it didn't phase you whatsoever you just got back on with the job and it was like wow this this guy looks like he's been at the majors for x <laughs> amount of years yeah how, how no, did you feel I, out there Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think that's one of my strengths is just kind of my mentality for things and and being able to, to conduct myself in that manner. So, um, you know, I was, I don't know, it's just kind of the way I am. And, you know, I've said this before, it's something that I've known and believed that that was going to be something I was doing for a long time. So, um, 
you know, it wasn't anything that, that was, was too big for me, so to speak. Definitely. I think that does come across and not in an arrogant way, but in a kind of very strong way. It comes, your character comes across quite vividly or whatever you have want to describe it. You know, that's massively to your credit because I think that everyone's seen players finally get their chance in the majors and, and either wilt under the spotlight or freeze or, or do something the other way. And you look like you've got the, the right sort of minerals to, to be able to thrive at that level, which is why, obviously, understatement of the year, it's so frustrating that you've obviously got the injury now because you're picking up a, a sort of head of steam and, and finally, right. you know, an, another huge um, roadblock. When you came into the game that on your debut there, mm-hmm. how many innings did you think you were going to be pitching for? It was just a case of we'll take it one inning at a time, see how it goes. Um, some, I'm, I mean, so I was built up as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um and so obviously when I came in the first, I knew I was going to be expected to, to throw multiple innings to yeah. the extent in which that was going to be. I wasn't too sure. Um, I knew that I was, I knew that the goal um, during spring training and during my time at the alternate site before I was eligible to return to play, the goal was to have me ready for 90 pitches as a starter. So, um, <clears throat> you know, going into it, I knew I was going to be able to, to cover some innings. Um, I figured that if I were to come out, it would be a situation where it was just time for the next arm. It wasn't really going to be because I ran out of bullets because I was pretty stretched out. And that day would have been my start day if I were still at the alternate site. So a lot of things kind of lined up for me to be able to go deep. So when I entered that game, it was, it, it very much felt like it was just a game that I was a starter. Yeah, I mean, I think it can't be underplayed. It was, if, from what I understand, it was you know, the first pitcher since um, John Montefisco in 1974 to go at least eight innings pitched in relief and, and get a win out of the bullpen. I mean, that, that's a, a long time. We, we, that's, you know, what you did was not something that's an everyday feat in baseball. And I think it, that can't be underplayed. I, th- I think it was a truly stellar effort to do that. And I think if, if anyone who was watching you for the first time, didn't know what to expect after that. They very much did. And it's massively to your credit. One thing I wanted to ask about, which um, I'm glad you mentioned, is you said that you, know, you were stretched out to be able to, to go long in, in games. Mm-hmm. We often hear that. And for the uninitiated or perhaps for fans who are new to the game, I was wondering, I mean, I've, I've been a fan for, for 21 years, but I, I still don't know the actual sort of way that it would work. And since if you're being stretched out, how do you actually go about changing your routine to be ready to pitch longer in ball games as opposed to if you're coming in for just like an inning or two? Right. Um, I, I think the, that's mainly two things. Number one, obviously, is getting longer outings um, to build up to that because you can't just go from, you know, throwing – 20 pitches in a game to 90 pitches in a game. So yeah. usually when you're getting stretched out, it, it's kind of broken up to where it kind of gradually increases to get to that point. And then the second thing is just time. Like you can't throw in games every other day or every third day. You got to be kind of on a, a similar to a starter schedule where, you know, you have an outing, you have uh, multiple down days before your next outing. So you can throw more pitches, um, you know, so it, it's really those two things. So, um, yeah, it, it takes some time. It's not something that, um, you know, guys can just just flip right into. Yeah. So so it was important that, that you know, if, if I hadn't been stretched out, I certainly wouldn't have had the outing I did because I would have had to come out of the game way sooner. 
So would your training actually be different other than obviously your pitching side of things in terms of the number of pitches you're throwing, but in the actual training that you're doing, whether it's, I don't know, whether it's weight work or whatever you're doing with this resistance bands or, or whatever thing it is, would your training be different if a pitcher is looking to be like a close, like a fireball throwing hundred miles per hour for, for like right. 20 pitches? Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely way different. Um, as a starter, um, you can be much more deliberate and intensive and scripted and, you know, all those things with your training. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I preferred to start is because I, I, you know, I like really getting after it in the weight room and doing things like that. It's something that I think is really important for me. Mm. Um, if you're like a, a closer, like, you know, Presley, for example, on our team, he's got to be ready just about every day. Yeah. It, that is that it shifts into managing a lot more. So yes, you still want to get in as much work as you can with, you know, the weight room and in the training room and your arm care, all that stuff. But, but priority one is being ready for the game that night. So, um, so it, it just, all of the factors, I mean, you got to take it day by day as you know, what, what did you do yesterday? How did you pitch yesterday? What are the chances you get in today? You know, how how'd you sleep like all kinds of things go into trying to be ready to pitch every day and that certainly affects tr the training aspect so mm. yeah i'd say that's like a huge difference starters you can be very scripted and deliberate uh relievers it's a lot more kind of a managed type feel to it makes a lot of sense uh thank you for that that's something which i've wondered about for, for quite some time as well mm -hmm. um taking a step back so looking at what you're breaking through into the majors sum up your emotions just being part of the major league team seeing all these superstars around you and actually being able to kind of in experience that atmosphere with your own eyes obviously you know you're not you, you're not a fan going in there so you're not so overawed that you're kind of not able to move but in, in the sense mm -hmm. that it must have been must have been surreal suddenly being you know having having these guys who you'd obviously look up to for for, for a long time as your teammates all, all of a sudden right yeah um yeah i mean my first home run uh given up in my career being to Albert Pujols is certainly something that kind of figures factors into that. I, you know, I remember telling someone, I was like, I'm pretty sure Albert was on one of my fantasy baseball teams when I was in high school. So like, that's <laughs> like, there are some like cool little tidbit moments like that where you're like, mm. man, that is, that is really cool. So, but yeah, but, um, but yeah, like you said, there, it wasn't like I've been around and been playing and come up with a lot of these guys too. Yeah. So it, it's, it's been fun and, and it's, and it's been in very much not, so much a um way where it's like oohing and on at all the players yeah. it's just like man this is great that we that we get to play at the highest level like this is fun you know mm. what's the clubhouse vibe like this year because it comes across really well compared to last year yeah the clubhouse i'm great team i mean the team is full of great guys um and i and the i think the vibes are just everyone's just kind of in a better mood because i think we're kind of on the other end of all of the COVID-19 lockdown mm -hmm. issues. Right. So uh, just the fact that we were able, you know, I remember when we traveled to uh, New York and uh, our off day in New York was our first day we were allowed to eat in restaurants inside because of our vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Right. So wow. I remember we all took a team dinner and we all went and it just things like that where like everyone's like morale is just kind of on the upswing, I think from, from the pandemic where it's, it, kind of translates onto the field where everyone's really really having a good time whereabouts did you go for dinner uh we went to a steakhouse i'm i'm blanking on the name of it i wish i could remember 
it was really good. I was, uh, I think Lance and Carlos picked up the tab for us. They were, they were nice for us. So, but, Can't go wrong uh, with this no, thing. It was great. Yeah. yeah, can't go wrong with that. Um, I don't know how much involvement he has with the minor league teams, but it must be great also working with Brent Strom uh, on a on a daily basis. Because uh, I've had a I've had a few pictures on the show. I've had Ryan Preston on the show and Oli Paredes, uh, and they were, you know they're so keen to express what a great man Brent Strom is to have as a as a guiding figure uh, in there. And, and what what's your experience been like with with Brent so far? Yeah, I, I think it's similar to everyone everyone else's in that it's been really positive. Um, you know, he's he does a really good job of kind of finding that nice middle ground between what, you know, all the sabermetric advanced yep. statistics stuff mm-hmm. tell us and just kind of like having some, old, you know, quote unquote, old school feel. He, he seems to find a nice balance between the two to set people up for success, but but I don't think it's really even about that. I think number one thing with him is you, you can sense it. The guy really cares about his, about his players. He, he loves to win. He just enjoys being at the yard. And, you know, when you have a guy like that where the players can sense that he's, he really cares, it's going gonna, it's gonna to uh, be a positive thing. Definitely. And how about working with Dusty Baker as well? That must be a, a, a great experience too, because he's, he looks like he could talk the hind legs off a horse because he's got so many great stories to tell. Yeah. And um, yeah, he must be entertaining every day. Yeah, he's got, I feel like um, we haven't run into a situation where he hasn't been able to tell a relatable story <laughs> to, to go with it. But yeah, um, so I, I actually grew up a Cubs fan. My whole family's from Chicago. Oh wow! And I was a big Cubs fan when he was manager of them. So, uh, so that was another cool thing to you know for me to break into the major leagues and play for a manager who also managed you know a team that I was a big fan of growing yeah. up. That was that was a cool moment. Yeah. Wow, that must be pretty surreal as well. I was just I guess having that that connection. A quick question about when. In the middle of a game, have you got you got your pitching changes taking place? Who is making that call, man? Is it is it Strom or is it Dusty Baker or is it a combination of the two? I think it's a collective effort. Um, I'm not sure, um, you know how how it really goes every time, but I do know that um, they definitely discuss. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not sure when when push comes to shove, how much one has say over the other and whatnot, but I, I, it's a collective effort. Yeah. Fair enough. I think looking at the team this year, I think the Astros chances, particularly on the AL side, uh, I was just generally speaking on the AL side are very good because there's not because there's anything to fear, but there's no juggernaut team in the AL this year. Who's carving up every, every opponent. I think it's very open. Uh, is yeah. that something which which you guys on the team yourselves would, would agree with? It looks like the, the road is, is is there to be travelled. I think I think our team and, and I think our team is full of so many good players that uh, the team's good enough where we don't really have to think about that mm. kind of stuff. I feel like the team just thinks, hey, if we go play our game, we're going to win. So, um, and obviously that's extremely fortunate to be a part of a team that that has so many good players where you can where you can have that vibe. Um, but that is the vibe. I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I think, I think we have so much confidence in ourselves. And, and like I said, just so many good players that we know that we just take care of our own business. Things should take care of themselves. Definitely. I think there's enough superstar level talent in there that it's almost like a case of whose day is it today? One player will step up. And if one player doesn't, the next day, someone else will step up and you can, that's all you can ask for really. I mean, that is right. the making and the marking of an elite level team. So that's exactly what 
as fans, we, we love to see that. Um, right. Just switching from the good to slightly to the bad, unfortunately, the, the injury. Um, when did you know first that it was going to be bad? Yeah, well, I, I actually, I tore my UCL over a year ago. It was beginning of 2020. It was before spring training, 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I, I threw in the first camp game of 2020, and it was, it was just – it was a no-go. And so we went and got it looked at and saw, you know, had the tearing and, and what have you. So I went, uh, you know, obviously wanted to avoid surgery yeah. and, and obviously we all shut down for the pandemic. So it just seemed like this might be a good opportunity to just try and rehab it. And so I got the like PRP injections and the, the bone marrow injections and um, tried to rehab it. was able to get back, you know, to playing, but um over the course of this season, just, just could tell that it, it wasn't holding up. It just wasn't enough. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it had been a long time uh, ago that I, that I heard it initially, but uh, you know, those last week or two weeks is when it was like, all right, I don't think I'm going to be able to perform uh, on this. Mm. Was that a factor in your workload having sort of decreased from being like we, we started stretching out or was it just a coincidence that that happened at the same time? No. Yeah. I don't, I can't really speak on the usage. That was not really my call. Sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, one thing I will say about my usage is, so I got, I got hot in the bullpen a lot and it just worked out multiple times where I didn't go in. So yeah. I can remember one game I warmed up twice where, Granky ended up getting double plays to end both innings. And it's like, okay, so sit down. So I think that's one thing about the bullpen that, you know, obviously fans don't really get to see or, or, or gets overlooked by people not in the bullpen is, you know, if you get completely warmed up for the game, uh, that's, that's still putting some stress on your arm. So there were, there were multiple times where, you know, I got, got hot and it just didn't, the chips just didn't fall in the place where I entered the game. And then that that does factor into my workload. So I think, you know, if I went a stretch of days where I didn't pitch in the game, I probably did get hot somewhere mm. in that span. It just didn't work out where I didn't go in. Yeah. Do you think that had an unfortunate kind of negative impact on it? Or was it just a case of that just sort of exacerbated the process of, of the injury getting worse? Hard, yeah, hard to, hard to say. Not really yeah. sure. Just one point on, on injuries, which I had wondered about. Quite often, you'll see a catcher immediately pick up on an injury, particularly with Maldonado. He's he's like almost like a hawk, like bam, he'll call right. Strom and get someone out of there. What is it? He what is it that he will see in that type of instance? Because sometimes, as fans, we're watching it and we think hmm, that didn't look like there was anything wrong there, but he'll be like, well, right, get the, get the trainer out. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be it could be a number of different things. Usually, what happens is, well, obviously, you know, command is yeah. is a is and velocity are two obvious factors. Um, but beyond that, you know, when you combine that with the guy who, you know, is looks a little different and it yeah. could just mean that he's compensating in some fashion. So, you know, I think with me, I was probably getting a little pushy with it. I think that's what the word Maldi mm-hmm. used. And, and that certainly was true, you know, just trying to kind of fight my way through it to get the ball to the yeah. home plate. Um, but yeah, they, they can pick, I mean, they, they watch guys pitch they watch every pitch from the best point of view. So it doesn't take a whole lot for them to, to realize something's different. And when you combine that with, 
you know, looking up at the board and seeing velocity being low or seeing maybe the pitcher's expression straining or something like that. It's they're 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 good at they're good at their job. <laughs> very much so, very much. In terms of your injury and, and the surgery you had, it, it wasn't Tommy John surgery then, was it? It was a different operation. I'm, I believe I'm right in saying that. Yes. Yes. So so what was this what's the difference between what TJ surgery is and what you had? Right. Okay. So most uh, UCL tears are evulsion tears, meaning that the ligament, it's not the ligament like tearing in half. It's the ligament tearing off of the bone. Yep. And so um, in certain cases, and fortunately mine was one of them, um, a UCL repair surgery is an option where basically what happens is they, they see that the quality of the tissue, like with my ligament was still good. It was just mm-hmm. coming off the bone too much where it just wouldn't, it couldn't do its job. Right. So basically the doctor goes in, takes the tissue, like kind of yanks it back up into place. And he, they, he augments it with a little piece of bio tape. So he weaves this like little piece of film into it to kind of strengthen it and just kind of just basically screws it back into the bone. Wow. Um, as opposed to Domijon where they got to tunnel through the bones and, and weave a graft through there. Um, so, um, that's why this surgery's, uh, timetable for rehab is, is less is because you already have the ligament. It's just a matter of putting it back where it belongs as opposed to Tommy John, you're, you're introducing a different type of tissue and your body has to, you know, it's got to settle. Your body has to change that tissue into a ligament type tissue and, and, and just adjust. So, um, so yeah, so hopefully this, this works out well. Definitely. Uh, when is your scheduled all being well date to be sort of returning to, well, not necessarily onto the field, but isn't just to, right. to pitching next year? Yeah. Um, I think, I think we're shooting for, I think we keep saying nine months because that's when that's around the time camp starts Cool. next year. Um, but it's, it's really not set in stone. So this procedure is pretty new. Um, and it's definitely new for, guys who have had Tommy John surgery in the past. Mm. And because of that, it's very much not set in stone, the timetable. So I know, I know like if it were a high schooler were to get this surgery and not have without having Tommy John in the past, I yeah. think it's, I think it's usually like six and a half months somewhere around there. Um, but because, well, one, because I don't need to be back that early because there's yeah. no baseball season mm-hmm. going on and factoring in, you know, I'm 28 or 29 now instead of 16, like these high schoolers are and factoring in that I've had Tommy John in the past. It we've slowed it down. And I think we're going to shoot for, for like that eight or nine month mark to be back in games. Yeah. Cool. What are the milestones on, on route to that that you've got planned out or is it more a case of just take it as it comes? Uh, a little bit of both. Step one will be getting my full, full range of motion back. I think the goal is to be able to have full range of motion by six weeks. Cool. And then, um, so yeah, that's, that's milestone one, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some boxes to check and that's going to factor in as the, you know, the timetable. Like once I check one box, then I can move on to working towards checking off the next box. Yeah. Cool. What you got planned, um, in your downtime in the, in, in the meantime, what are you going to keep yourself busy with? That's, that's a good question. There's probably going to, well, there's certainly going to be, be a lot of, uh, like Netflix going on. Um, but, um, you know, while, while I'm at home for this first month or so, I'm, you know, I'm actually at my parents' house as we speak. I'll spend a lot of time with my family. I'll see some friends. 
Um, you know, I'm sure I'll be watching a lot of the Astros games, um, but maybe do some reading. I'm not sure. Unfortunately, this thing has me locked up. I can't really do too much physical, yeah. physical activity, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. When does that come off? Uh, the, the brace, I think we're yeah. keeping on for eight weeks, but I only have a couple more days left where it's locked. So this brace is adjustable. You can change like how much it'll allow you to, wow. to move. So, um, I, I don't remember the numbers I get to move, but in a couple of days I should be able to move it a little bit more and then gradually it'll increase. And so my last few weeks with this on, I'll have full range of motion. It's just to protect like from something crazy happening where yeah, yeah. my arm gets jolted and it ruins everything, you know? Yeah. So, well, yeah. that, that lateral movement, yeah. Present, preventing right. all that. Definitely. Generally on major league baseball, since you, you've broken through, what are your initial thoughts on the arena as such as in just generally major league baseball? Is it what you expected? Is it, is the kind of environment different? What is the general kind of vibe you, you, you yeah, get from no, it? it's, it is, um, it is what I expected. I think one thing that, um, you know, coming up through the minors that they, and, and going through spring trainings, it really does do a pretty good job preparing you of what the life is like. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same, just, just on a fancier, bigger scale, nicer scale. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and I've been, I've been playing pro ball for a long time too. So I'm sure that factored into it not being as, as mm-hmm. crazy in my eyes. Um, so, um, but yeah, it, it is a lot of fun getting those fans, you know, obviously I've, I haven't played in uh, stadiums before the big leagues that could, you know, seat 40 or 50,000 people. So that is, that is pretty cool. Definitely. I, I imagine just having fans there is an incredible feeling, especially after the, the last year where fans were completely absent and it made for a, a very different atmosphere for players at, right. well, everywhere. So um, that must be yeah, a real relief to have that sort of reaction and the kind of visceral experience and, 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 right. and whatnot. Quick question on the sort of subjects of the week, which uh, MLB are sort of murmuring about trying to crack down on pitchers using different substances and whatnot. I mean, mm-hmm. what, as, a, as a pitcher, what, what are your thoughts? Now? Are you thinking MLB are barking up the wrong tree with this? Is it something which is just going to cause problems ahead of the CBA renewal next year? Or what are your just, just sort of general thoughts? Now? I don't want to get you in trouble with saying anything that's... Uh, right, right. No, uh, um, yeah, I think... You know, I think the number one thing that me personally, I want to see is it just be like, just be uniform with it yeah. so that everyone's on the same page. Um, you know, it get, you know, having better grip and the sticky stuff, it does like, there's no denying it does make spin rates go up, which mm. in turn should make your pitches better, which in turn should make you a better pitcher. Right. Yeah. Um, so so as long as as long as everyone is, you know, on the same level, I'm fine with it. Whether that be everyone can use anything or nobody can use anything. As long as everyone's the same, I think that's the number one thing we can we can ask for. I will say this, um, gripping Major League Baseball is like it is it's not easy. Like it's yeah. the ball is not conducive for good grip. Um, and and they change the balls all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend all these pitchers are it's their life's work is being able to manipulate this little ball. And so when you, every time you change it, like it's a, it's a big deal for a pitcher, it's going to change how your pitches work. So, you know, it's, it's a tough, 
it's a tough problem to 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 answer because you know you don't want mm. anyone to have a crazy advantage over anyone else obviously but you also want the pitchers to be able to throw the ball over the plate you know you don't want to be headhunting on accident so um you know it's it's a tricky situation i think priority one just needs to be everyone on the same on the same level yeah definitely clarity and cohesion is not always major league baseball strong point unfortunately right. so i i hope that they will uh be able to come to a, a resolution fairly quickly that is to everyone's yeah. uh, approval because absolutely that's right. a, a very key issue let's talk about okay let's let's stay on one, one more slightly negative side of things let's talk about dhcmt and the approach of major league baseball towards right. um this uh, just for people listening uh, if you haven't checked out kent emmanuel's videos on instagram one from last year and one from this year uh, explaining at length the, what the situation is with regards to microscopic amounts of this steroid the um, metabolite of this steroid DHCMT, uh, which is the hydrochlormethyl testosterone. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. You just to give to fill people in. You had um, you had been a major, sorry, minor leaguer for um, six and a half years. You tested sixteen times, negative every time. And then in 2020, in um, in March, uh, just something like sixteen days or something after you tested negative the last time. You tested positive for seven picograms, uh, which, as you'd said in one of your videos, is a picogram is a, is a trillionth of a gram. Yeah. And was suspended on, on the back of this. I mean, I share your kind of dumbfoundedness over this and, and why right. there's such a stubborn approach. Just let the people know what you're trying to do to change things up. Yeah, um, I think, well, so the PA made a proposal to set a threshold for it um at 100 picograms yeah so anything below that level uh would not trigger a, a suspension um uh, you know it's been agreed upon that anything under that amount's not going to it's not enough to you know give anyone an edge on the field and the problem you know the number one problem is we don't really know what's going on like yeah. we, no one has an answer and you know talking with members of usada um you know, they, they've, they've said this, that, you know, anytime they run into a situation like this where multiple players are getting popped for these microscopic mm. levels, they've been able to figure out where it's coming from. We have not been able to do so with this. And for that reason, I think there needs to be a threshold because if you can't, you know, if you as a league can't give me any answers or you as a lab can't give me any answers as to where this may have come from, you know, how is that? you know, how can I even stop that from happening again? Yep. Or how can anyone stop it from happening to them? So, um, you know, I think it's been tw 20 players now in the last six years. It's not like it's mm. unbelievably rare, like it's happening to a, a couple of guys every season. Um, so yeah, I want them to, to implement a threshold to kind of combat all these unknowns, at least until we find some answers, just so no one's getting wrongfully suspended. Yeah, I fully support you in that. I mean, looking at the watching your videos again, the situation is an absolutely impossible one. They're asking they ask you to prove how you've kind of 
have that in your system, you can't prove right. it because you wouldn't know where to even get that to, to begin with. The amount is so small that it would, it would, like I said, it would have absolutely no effect on anything. Right. And, and then you have a, the added uh, part of it was the, the metabolite, the uh, the M3 metabolite, the, the long-term one, which is, is left in the system after supposedly having it. Yeah. It, it pulses and comes and goes. <laughs> so it's like, right. This is a situation which yeah. is absolutely so, impossible. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, so just to 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 go back, the, all twenty players, we've only tested positive for the M three metabolite. No one yeah. has tested positive for the steroid itself, mm-hmm. and no one has tested positive for any of the other metabolites that come with it. It's only this long term one, right? And when you ask about the long term one, like you said, they find it that it pulses, so you can test negative one day, test positive the next. Yeah. And it, it, we, we, we don't, we don't know how it works in terms of when it's expressing itself. And they also don't know how long it stays in the body. So when you're asking someone to find the source, you're looking for, in my case, I'm looking for seven trillionths of a gram and it could have come from a source or something that I ingested at any point in my lifetime. Like that's an, that's an, that's an impossible task. There's no way. Um, so it's just, it sucks the the system is not perfect. And in in this DHCMT situation is certainly, you know, exposing that. And, you know, there's an answer, there's an answer out there uh, with this threshold. It could fix all the problems, at least until some answers are found. So I think it's, I think it's something the league uh, needs to do uh, as soon as possible. Definitely. I mean, from looking at the the tweets, which you'd put out in relation to it. So it's UFC has got a threshold, right? Is that correct? Yeah, uh, UFC has one. I, I don't know. I don't think there is. I'm not 100% certain about all the professional sporting leagues, but mm-hmm. I believe Major League Baseball is the only major sporting entity with drug testing where if you were to test positive for the M3 at seven picograms, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. Um, crazy, so, yeah, yeah so it, it's, it just it really sucks. Um, but yes, UFC is implemented a 100 picogram threshold because they've had guys run into this problem. Um, um, NASCAR made rule changes. There was a NASCAR pit crew member who tested positive for a couple wow. picograms. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, USADA is pushing, is trying to push um, WADA, the world anti-doping agency, into making this like their standard um, for all sports because, I mean, it's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere, all across all sports. I've seen um, some Olympians lose their Tokyo Olympic dreams because because of they got yeah. a couple of picograms. Um, you know, an article just came out about uh, an Olympian almost losing her chance because it wasn't DHCMT, but there was another um, steroid or a a um, diuretic maybe that she tested positive for, and they ended up finding it like traces of it in her. Uh, antidepressants like oh, her wow, prescribed really? antidepressants so it's like when you the problem is the testing has become so advanced and obviously you want to do everything you can to yeah. keep the game fair but i just think the pendulum swung too far now now we're testing for amounts that are so small it's like i could go into a court of law and be like hey um you know these seven picograms i think it came from a guy flushing his old steroids down down the toilet mm. two blocks over because that's how advanced the testing is now. Like those traces can get detected and it it just sucks when you have a a system 
when you combine that sensitive of testing with a system that is guilty until proven innocent, that it's going to cause some problems for sure. How would you rate your chances of getting some sort of recognition, maybe even with the next CBA renewal for something along those lines to try? I mean, I don't know if it's separate with um, with this, was it the JDA uh, yeah, and whatnot. Um, I, I think the chances are, are good. Um, cool. You know, I, I will say this if I, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say this. If the, it's unfortunate that the league hasn't made the rule change already. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's my belief that the reason they haven't done that is they're using it as a bargaining chip for the upcoming CBA, which Mm -hmm. in my mind is that's disgusting. Um, But anyways, after the CBA, if it's not made during that time, I think that's, that's going to be a really bad look on the league because you look around the sporting world and everyone's making that change and it's just going to go, it's just going to be another, another thing another thing that people can point towards to say baseball is just behind they're behind everyone else. And you don't, and you know, I don't, I don't think that's, I hope that's not going to be the case, but if the change isn't made, that will be the case. It's common sense. Surely, isn't it? I mean, it just doesn't make sense why major league baseball have a propensity to be so stubborn on certain issues and just uh, inflexible. I don't know why, and I don't know to what benefit uh, on their side. I really, really hope for for your sake and the other players involved with that situation that it does change because it just doesn't seem right. And and um, right. I have to admit, as a fan, I, I, I do love that you chose the number zero and the reason for the number zero. Right. I think that was uh, something which a lot of Astros fans were very much yeah. behind you on. So no, uh, I wish you the very best of luck with that. Well, hopefully not battle, but if it is a battle with that battle. Thank Moving you. on from that, let's talk about let's talk about growing up. So um, when you were growing up, you were in Georgia, right? Um, yes, I, and... I was born in Chicago, but moved to Georgia when I was young. Yeah. Cool. Okay, because not knowing not knowing that you were a Cubs fan, I I, I was going to ask if you were a Braves fan, and obviously yeah. very much not a Braves fan. So um, so no, it's it did switch over. You know, when I by the time I was in high school, I had gone to enough Braves games where my fandom started to shift, and then and then basically when I finally got my driver's license, I went to a ton of games, and oh, so wow. I became a big big Braves fan. Yeah. Who were your favorite? Um, um, would I be right in saying that that legendary pitching lineup that they had would have been your major influences or uh, actually not Glavin actually or... not really i found that most oh, wow. of my favorite players were were hitters um and i'm sure part of that has to do or i'm sure most of that has to do with you know those are the guys i got to see every day you know it's hard Ch- to chipper hard jones to or with, say what chipper jones or uh, who, who else yeah chipper was up there i'll tell you what andrew jones for a mm-hmm. while there Great i was player. like his i was like his good luck charm there was like a crate i'm telling you there was like a crazy streak it was like 12 games or something that i went to in a row where he hit a home run i was like his good luck charm so andrew jones andrew jones is up there too but yeah i mean they had a, a lot of great players i i really enjoyed watching uh martin prado too just how he went about playing the game just 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 kind of a just kind of a gritty hustle guy yeah i think as an astros fan we weren't so keen on the era because it kept knocking us out of the postseason so uh, <laughs> it's a right. uh, slightly bittersweet memories but um yeah um what was the moment when you were young where you realized that this was what you wanted to do um that's a good question i it's it's always been something i wanted to do i just you know, maybe not necessarily baseball, but I knew I just loved sports. I loved competing. And, um, you know, as I, as I, you know, grew up, 
you know, I learned that baseball was probably the avenue in which I could play professional sports. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's something I had known for a very long time. Um, but, but like I said, it was, it was, it was built out of more of just a uh, sports fandom and competitive, loved it, loving to compete rather than falling in love with specifically baseball. Yeah. Interesting. By extension, what was the moment where you realized, hey, I can actually do this? Like, this is, this is it. Like, I've, I've got the talent to, to go all the way. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I feel like, I feel like I always had that belief that I, that I was good enough to do it or that I had, you know, I had yeah. the, had it in me to do it. Um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm just going to say high school, just because that's when major league teams were showing interest, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and going to get drafted out of high school. So I guess sometime in high school, but you know, it, it the belief definitely came before that. I don't know. Um, when the moment was where I was like, Oh, I actually have some like yeah. evidence to back my belief. You know what I mean? No, for sure. Okay. Then let's move on to your sort of progress from those early days to then becoming a baseball player. You were drafted originally by the Pittsburgh Pirates in um, the, uh, was it the 10th round of the 2010 MLB draft? You didn't sign with them. There must've been a sort of mixture of emotions at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I knew I was going to be drafted, um, and which was awesome. And I knew that I also had a great opportunity at University of North Carolina, you know, to have an unbelievable experience. So, um, you know, going into the 2010 draft, um, I had basically set a, like a, a monetary number for all of the teams and saying, Hey, I will sign if you offer this much, if it's mm-hmm. anything below this number, I will go to college. And so once I kind of slid out of the first, like first two rounds, I knew the chances of me signing were going to be low. Um, it was basically going to be just a situation where if a team drafted me late, like the pirates did, yeah. and they, for some reason, didn't sign their top guys and they had extra money, they could sign me. So so there wasn't a whole lot of emotion going into it after that, like first or two second round kind of happened. Cause I was like, okay, at that moment, I kind of switched to the mindset of I'm going to college. Yeah. And when you went to college, you were playing baseball for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I believe. Um, I'll be honest. I know absolutely nothing about college baseball. What's the, <laughs> what's, what's the kind of scene like? What's it, how, what's the atmosphere like? What's the standard like? What kind of players you come across? Yeah, no, it's, Oh, sorry. I hope it's not too loud. It's starting no, to we're good. No, we're, um, we're good. Um, no, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a different world. Uh, you, you definitely have like a lot more um, like energy and like kind of that, like, I don't know why the word grimy is coming in like that gritty, like dirt. But it's, I mean, I had a blast. I, I, it was three of the best years of my life. I, I had so much fun. Um, and, and if you're in the, if you're in one of the top like conferences, you're going to have high quality, high quality baseball. So, uh, man, I can't speak, you know, any better about it. it was, it was a blast. Were there any other major leaguers that you can recall playing against at the, in, in those years? Sure. I mean, just, just on my team alone, uh, Jacob Stallings was my catcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's with the pirates. Uh, Colin Moran was my third baseman. Yeah. Um, Brian Goodwin was on one of our teams. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, we had, we had a number of big leaguers uh, with us. 
That's really cool. Moving on further, uh, so eventually you got the um, you were selected by the Astros. Uh, I think seventy fourth overall in the third round of the draft. There, what kind of emotions were going through you, you at that point when you'd been picked up and you thought, right, this is actually going to be the start of my road to the majors? Must have been an incredible feeling. Yeah, it it was. Um, you know, it was a lot different than high school because I knew that was the you know that yeah. was where it was going to be. Um, so. Uh, but we were actually still playing our college season because we were making a deep playoff run there. So, you know, when I got the news, I remember I was in the weight room with our college team doing like a little workout, a little warm up. So I really didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it because we were about to get ready for a big series that weekend. Um, but yeah, like you said, but when it came time to like college season ending and I went and signed the contract, that was really cool to know like, all right, hey, this is the real deal. Here, like here we go you know yeah I, I honestly to other players that I've spoken to on, on the show I, I do like asking that question because you can just sort of see everyone's face fill up with pride at the me- the memories of, of what that was like having that experience and, and being able to, to start that road um, I, I love talking about it in terms of your minor league career obviously you, you sort of did the, the kind of traveled road of, of going from level to level what right. I'm more interested in was is what is it like being a minor leaguer? We don't often hear about it enough uh, as fans of Major League Baseball, uh, unless we're kind of really kind of zoned in and, and following the minor league scene. How would you describe being a minor league baseball player? Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of twilight zone esque uh, place. You know, you you play very high level baseball. Um, you know, you, you are introduced to this crazy, you know, traveling schedule that's extremely busy and takes up all your time. Um, but, but without all the, the cool perks of being in the big leagues, basically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of guys, it's always described as, as a grind, and it, and it really is. I mean, you, you'll have crazy long bus rides, making no money. Um, and if you're not playing well, man, life sucks, you know? <laughs> mm. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's such a weird, there's just not a whole lot of things you can compare it to. There really isn't. Um, but, but with that being said, you do, you do make some of the best, um, you do form some strong bonds with, with I some can imagine, yeah. I feel like, I feel like everyone always finds a couple guys throughout their minor league career where they end up being friends for life yeah that's really cool you mentioned about the fact that the salaries for minor league players are somewhat shockingly low what do players do to to make money to get by because obviously like the the amount i'm not going to go into the the details but one of your videos you mentioned uh on your instagram you mentioned the the amount you were making at most uh, as a minor leaguer and it was definitely not enough to to be like a full-on salary yeah right yeah so it I mean, guys usually fall into two. Well, I guess I guess guys could fall into three camps. Mm. One would be if you signed, if you were drafted high enough, and you got a big enough signing bonus that you could use that basically to live off during your minor league career. Fortunately, I fell into that boat, um, but not everyone's so lucky. So a lot of guys they'll have a job in the off season to try and try and make some money. You know, I've heard of guys doing all kinds of different things. I, I roomed with a guy who was a uh would stock a, uh, a grocery store i've wow. roomed with a guy who um did landscaping uh one worked with his buddy's construction company you know all, all kinds of 
or you live at home and you're, and you're basically still a dependent. Um, um, so yeah, if you want to be independent and, and be a minor leaguer and you didn't sign for a lot of money, um, you're probably, you're probably working some type of, of off season mm. gig. Yeah. I saw that. I think we, we all saw that the Astros this year are providing living conditions or sorry, living accommodation, I should say for um, their mind leagues, which is a great move. And I think that it's something which I hope that all major league clubs would follow suit and be able to do that for their minor league players, because to be quite honest, it's the least they can do uh, with the amount of money that they, they make. Um, that's not just directed at the Astros, but all teams, they obviously have huge resources. And um, I hope that minor league players get that kind of positive treatment going forward because it's, I mean, I'm, I know I'm sort of preaching to the converted here, but the fact is uh, that minor league players obviously do not get much of a fair shake when it comes to sort of making that road towards the majors. And I know that obviously there's an element of kind of taking their licks on the way towards becoming a major leaguer, but at the same time, right. there's a line and a lot of major league clubs do cross that. So I, I hope that right. the, the Astros setting a positive example there is something which will be t- taken up by others. Um, I'm sure that's something which you'd probably agree with as well, I imagine. Yeah, no, I think I think something that gets overlooked um, in terms of minor league pay is, is how long teams have control over you. I think that's a factor that really doesn't get addressed. Mm. Um, so the reason Major League Baseball or minor league minor leaguers don't get paid as much as basically they're they're they found a way in court to kind of be treated like an intern yeah. and um which you know i i understand it and on a ton of different levels like i mean do you want to pay someone a lot of money if they're never going to contribute to your big league team i don't know but 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 when you combine that with a minor league contract being you know, seven years long. Yeah. That's, that's when it, that's when things change. Um, at least, at least in my eyes, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many, you know, being a part of the Astros or I can't tell my, tell you how many times I've been on teams sitting there in AAA and we'll hear about someone getting called up on the team that we're playing against that night. And, you know, you look around and you're like, man, there's, you know, there's four outfielders here that would have gotten called up beforehand. You know, and it so it, that's that's a big part of it. If you want to, if you want to take the stance of, you know, hey, like they're just like interns, that's fine. Then I don't think they should be, um, you know, bound to a team for seven years because maybe they could have a big league opportunity way faster somewhere else. So I think that's I think that's something that needs to be addressed too. Yeah, I mean, I'm speaking as someone who is not an American. Obviously, despite being a baseball fan for a long time. That's something which over here in the UK, we don't have that in sports. So if, if someone signs, for example, like for a footballers in a soccer team here, they have a contract and that's it. They, they're not, they don't have what's called like team control. It doesn't, just doesn't exist here in it's a sporting concept. So it's, um, it's really interesting to, to, to hear you say that as a fan, you think about it and you think, wow, how can you be under control of the same team with no options to do anything about it for, uh, you know, a huge part of your career, really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that, Part of it is probably, I don't want to say worse than the pay because I don't want to downplay how little minor leaguers make, but, but, but it's just like, okay, you're in a situation where you're not making any money, but you can't do anything about it. That's the biggest, like when when you add that factor that you can't really do anything about it, that's when it just really sucks is because, you know, there's plenty of players out there who over the years would have been able to get to the big leagues years earlier 
had mm. they had they had the freedom to go to a different team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very good way of looking at it. I don't know if they'll ever be changed, but it's something which, from my view, if I was if if I was in charge of baseball, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, but if I was in charge of baseball, that's definitely something which I would be looking at because I just find it a very strange situation, and it's no wonder that players look to maximise their free agency when they when they hit free agency. Why yeah. why the hell wouldn't you? Like you know, you've got this yeah. opportunity to finally get the freedom cash in. I mean, it doesn't make any yeah. sense otherwise. Yeah, um, and that's and that's. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of it too. I think that that gets overlooked too. When when guys are like after the money later on, it's like, yeah, well you have to. You only get yeah. one chance at it because the beginning part was taken away from me and you know that you know if I go into my next contract, the league's going to argue that, "Hey, you're in your 40s. You're like you're not we have the evidence to show that you're probably not going to be worth that amount of money." So, um so yeah, it's 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 a pretty wild uh, industry to say the least. Definitely. It's almost like the setup is designed to create mercenary attitudes, which, and like I said, I don't blame players for being like that whatsoever. It's, it's just that the way that Major League Baseball is set up actually encourages that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it, at the moment it is what it is. Moving on, a couple more points on the minors before we start wrapping up. I'm not familiar with that many minor league ballparks. I'm quite interested to hear what your favourite minor league ballparks are. Just as in interesting Ooh, ones, good- yeah. That's a good question. Um, one of my favorite places to play is in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, but that, but that's kind of an all encompassing thing. The, the stadium's really nice. Don't get me wrong, but I also just love the city and and all that jazz. Um, but I'd say if we're just talking just ballparks alone, El Paso actually has one of the best ones I've I've played at. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think as far as atmosphere goes. Uh, the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines, Iowa is one of the coolest places. Um, yeah, that one, I, I'll always say that and that raises eyebrows. People never expect that one. But um, but there's a lot, of, I mean, there's a lot of cool ones out there. And, 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 you know, Las Vegas, their stadium's extremely nice. It's, it's a, I think it's a terrible place to play baseball though. But obviously, I mean, it's just a launching pad and every, like the ball taps the bat and it's going to be a hit or a homer. So but I digress, but the stadium is super huh. sweet. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of cool ones out there. And, and I feel like um, a lot of them try to kind of have something special that, that makes them different than, than others, which I think is pretty cool across minor leagues. Yeah, I think we all, all like that when, when a stadium or a ballpark has a, has a character that comes across uh, and is something which you can really sort of latch onto if, you, if you're watching a game. I normally like to ask my guests on the show for a funny Astro story, but I think I'm going to ask you for a crazy, funny, anything interesting minor league story that you can think of. Anything from your years yeah. in, in the minor leagues, something which we've never heard, but it could be anything. It could be, like I said, it could be unusual, funny, right. whatever. Yeah. I got a horror story pretty much. This is Let's right. So we're going, so we're, we're traveling to play in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I don't even remember where we're flying from. But it's it's in the PCL, so it's so the travel there is just horrific. So we're waking up at like 4 a.m. to go to the airport because you got to take the first commercial flight that morning. And so we're flying to Albuquerque to play that night. And it's a it's a pretty choppy, it's a pretty choppy ride. And we're going down to land. And um, it's it's not like I'm not a nervous flyer. But it was like, I'm like, this is not 
looking this doesn't seem right it doesn't feel right it's not looking good like i feel like the plane i, I felt like the plane was like going like facing the ground like it, it was terrible well anyway so we're going to land and all of a sudden you just all of a sudden you feel like you're go back in your seat because we're we're going we're flying back up right we're flying back mm -hmm. up well i guess the weather the weather was too bad uh, where we couldn't land yeah and the the pilot had to basically redline the engine to get us up and out of there to to go and i guess when you when you cross a certain when you have to like hit the engine so hard i guess it's protocol like you go land you have to go land right away yeah to make sure the plane's going to be okay and so he does that and it's like oh we have to make you know the emergency landing at santa fe okay and so so we go we land in santa fe and I don't even know what time it is. It's probably like, I, I'm not sure, but I know that we're probably not making it for a seven o'clock game or six o'clock game, whenever it was in Albuquerque. Like, I don't think we're going to yeah. make it on. And we're also getting texts about it raining in Albuquerque. So we're like, okay, no big deal. Like the game's getting rained out anyways. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Like at least, at least we don't have to worry about that part of this day. And we can just basically just wear the bad travel day and then go home, go to the hotel room and sleep. And then we'll play tomorrow. Right. But they tell us they're going to try and play the game. So, so we get on a bus and they have to drive us from Santa Fe to Albuquerque. And of course we have our equipment bags, but our regular luggage was not ready yet. Right. So we, all we have is our baseball stuff. We don't have like a regular luggage yet. We're bus, we bus over to Albuquerque and they moved the game back half an hour um, because we just weren't going to make it on time. Mm -hmm. And so we finally get there. We're like getting out of the, we're like getting off the bus and all the fans are like at the gate, like walking in, like the fan, like most of the fans have beaten us there. Like we're barely making it on time. Right. And so we're getting there. It's like seven 30 or whatever. And we're like, I'm out there warming up in like my regular glasses because my regular luggage isn't there. So I don't have my contact lenses. Like I'm like, I have no clothes. Like it's just, <laughs> so we're like getting ready for like a show and go game. And bear in mind, we've been up since like 4am. We haven't had a chance to sleep and we're getting ready to like, we're, we're all just so upset and so mad. We're like, they should have canceled this game for us and postponed it. Like this is ridiculous. But anyways, we all get ready and we're and we're finally suited up, ready to go. And it starts it starts to rain again. Oh, and wow. the, the game the game ends up getting delayed and then canceled. And we ended up not playing oh, anyways. God. But we did. But we had to stay to the stay at the stadium oh, until like a normal game ending time. It was like 10 p.m. Oh. And man, yeah, it was a it was an absolute. It was one for the ages. We have some bad travel days. But that one always, when someone asks like a like a minor league story, that's the one that pops up in my head. Oh, that that was a lot of fun listening to. I'm sure it was a lot more fun listening to it than it was experiencing it at the time because that sounds like an absolute nightmare. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Let's wrap up now. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, at Ken Emanuel. Both my Twitter and my Instagram are just are just my names. And and I'll go ahead and, and plug it. You mentioned it earlier they want to see the dhcmt videos it's on my instagram but you got to go to the igtv tab a lot of people will just look at the front page not see it and 
and then ask me again where it is. If you just click over the tab, you'll see those two videos there. Yeah, absolutely. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to watch those and get more of an understanding on what is definitely a big issue. As I said earlier, I hope you managed to get that through with MLB in terms of getting that threshold set. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, it's been good. Thanks for having me. It gives me, you know, I got a lot more free time now that I'm in the bionic arm. So it's good. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Wishing you all the very, very best with your rehab. I hope you have an excellent summer. And um, obviously, we'll, I know you'll be rooting on the guys from afar. And yeah, let's hope this is a memorable Astros year for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay right where you are for more Astros across the globe coming up after this. Welcome back to Strohs Across the Globe. That was a really enjoyable conversation with Kent Emanuel. I have enormous respect for him as he continues to overcome and rise above potentially devastating career blows. His upbeat outlook in the face of these challenges is inspirational and having spoken with him firsthand, I have absolutely no doubts we will be seeing him back in that Astros uniform in 2022 at his very best. I love getting the chance to speak with Astros pitchers on this show about how they work and it was really interesting to me to hear about what differences there are for starting pitchers as opposed to relievers in terms of what they work on and how they approach it in their training. Emmanuel's infuriation with Major League Baseball over their stubborn inflexibility concerning astonishingly microscopic traces of the DHCMT metabolite being found in players' tests is absolutely understandable. Please do check out his Instagram videos and tweets on the subject. When you look in depth at this, it outlines the impossibility of anyone trying to gain a performance advantage in testing positive for such a minute amount. Let's hope that MLB sees sense over the matter and put a threshold level in place before long. In addition to this, it was also great to get Kent's views on players' experiences in the minor leagues, along with that great story and his own inspirations along the way. I do hope you liked listening. Now, it's time for the draw to see who has won today's prize of the Funk Altuve t-shirt from Apollo. I have all the social media handles of everybody who entered and given you each a number. Let's dive back into the wonderful world of Google's random number generator with the number of total entrants set as a maximum to see who has won. And it is... Number 25, which is at HTX underscore Keaton 06. Big congratulations to you. You are today's winner and will shortly be receiving that t-shirt. I must say I am a little envious myself as it's another no-doubter of a design from Apollo. Awesome stuff. That's all for episode 13. Please make sure you're following me on Twitter, that's at AstrosFansUK, and on Instagram as UKAstrosFans, and on Facebook as George Martin with the Union Jack in Astros Colours as the display pick. As always, if you have any Astros Across the Globe questions, you can also email me at AstrosFansUK at gmail.com. Please make sure that you follow Apollo Media, that's at ApolloHOU on Twitter, and ApolloHOU on Instagram. Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. Thank you again for listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Please subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you're listening to this. I look forward to having you with me again for the next episode. And remember, wherever you are across the globe, let's go Strohs.